Captain John Carter. Virginia. 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 No. My name is John Carter. I'm from Virginia. Virginia. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And this time we're jumping in the Wayback Machine, going back more than 100 years to pick up A Princess of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs, which was adapted into the 2012 movie John Carter, which did not do amazingly well at the box office. (laughs) And And the 2009 movie Princess of Mars which never went to the box office. Are we going to discuss that though? <laughs> <laughs> one, one of the three of us may have suffered through it. It, it deserves okay. a brief, but pointed mention. Okay. We, I'll leave that to you. You have to give him some reward for suffering through it. <laughs> right. So um, previous history with any of this material. Colin? Uh, I did read this within the last five years. For the first time? Uh-huh. Okay. Really? Now, didn't yeah. you say, hadn't you read a bunch of other Edgar Rice Burroughs? When you were younger? I read a lot of Tarzan books. Okay. From the Cottage Grove Public Library. Very nice. Oh, uh, nice. <laughs> but you had not seen the theatrical movie or the Asylum movie? Well, given that they came out about 30 years after I read the Tarzan books, no. I mean, prior to this recording. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Not then either. Okay. Uh, what about you, James? My prior experience was... Hearing that the movie was terrible when it came out, and that was about it. So I never okay. bothered to watch it. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So I had not read the book. I, I think I had started reading it at some point. I think I got an audio book that wasn't very good, and it didn't didn't grip me, uh, which is That's what w- she we'll said. talk about. <laughs> we'll talk about it later because, like, I couldn't get into it because nothing was happening. Which that That's means I didn't get said. very. <laughs> <laughs> just lobbing them up there, man. I am. My bad. Uh, so anyhow, um, since the book is uh, fairly short and gets right to the point, I, I'm not sure. It must That's have been a really said. bad audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the book was published in 1912 as Under the Moons of Mars, and it was Edgar Rice Burroughs' first published work. Wow. And he published it. He wasn't sure how it would go, and so he didn't want to use his actual name, and so he published it by as by Norman Bean. Norman Bean. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And he published it in All Story, which was a pulp magazine. So, But by the time this one completed its serialized run, he had already written a couple other novels, including Tarzan, which was what, kind of his big break. Yeah. 1912. This is not the oldest thing we've done. Obviously, we've done Frankenstein and uh, Christmas Carol. Yes. Are those the only two kind of old ones that we've done? We haven't done any H.G. Wells, right? Not yet. Not yet, no. Yes. I should also correct a tweet that uh, I sent out from our our Twitter thing that we were going to hopefully have a Netflix watch party and, you know, we're going to invite people to join us. But this one disappeared off of Netflix like two weeks before we actually (laughs) watched it. (laughs) Yeah. Sheesh. Jeez, Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. That was a bummer. (laughs) So anyhow, if you do want to watch the movie, it is on Disney+. Plus. So- Why don't we talk about the book? Oh, actually, I guess we have to do the story, right? And it doesn't have to include anything from from Princess of Mars. (laughs) (laughs) Princess of Mars is pretty pretty canonical, so it won't be hard to overlap the two. Okay. 
Uh, John Carter is a uh, Civil War soldier who gets chased by a bunch of Indians into a cave in the mountains and uh, falls asleep. And when he wakes up, he's on Mars. Yep. And then he has adventures there amongst the green Martians and intervenes in a war sort of stuff. Meets a princess. Meets a princess. Meets a princess. Saves the planet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, not, not in the movie. Uh, you could make an argument that he did. So I think that's that suffices for the story. Uh, so th- this was a first time read for me, first time read for James. Colin, what did you think of it the first time you read it? It was okay. I honestly didn't remember a lot of it. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah, it's, you know, when you're talking about prose, it's over a hundred years old. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they talk about things in very, very different ways than we do. They do. And I, going into this one, I was concerned because of that earlier attempt to read it, that I was going to find it super dry and boring. And, you know, I didn't. I thought it was only like 160, 180 pages, something like that. It's pretty short. Right. Um, yeah. And while not a ton really happens, what does happen happens at a pretty good pace. Yeah. What about you, James? What did you think of the book? I enjoyed all the archaic English, like vouchsafe. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> there was actually, yeah, quite a few of those archaic words. I'm like, I looked up and every one of them was like, archaic form of this, archaic form of that. I'm like, yes. Oh, okay. All right. Yep. <laughs> uh, overall, though, I liked the book, actually. Um, I ended up buying the first seven of the series on Amazon mm-hmm. for like 99 cents. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, this is cool. Totally worth it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't read any further in the series. Uh, Colin, have you? No. Although I did play Leather Goddesses of Phobos. <laughs> what? <laughs> it plays leather of what? <laughs> leather Goddesses of Phobos. <laughs> Which is it's what? An, it's an Infocom game from the 90s. <laughs> okay. Oh. So brought to you by the makers of Zork. <laughs> okay. So so was it a nice. like a text adventure? It, it, did I say adventure? Whatever. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, it it was one of the sequels to uh, Lounge Suit Larry in the Land of the Leisure Suit Larry in the Land of the Lounge. Leisure Suit I did Larry, play yeah. that one. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So it, it kind of had a mix of there were some graphics that were shown, but mainly it was a text adventure. I played okay. it on an Apple IIe, nineteen eighty five, eighty six. Right. There was that whole raft of Sierra games, right? That was like Police Quest. And Leisure Suit Larry, where it had it had the graphical part of it, but you had to give text commands because this was pre-mouse. Yes. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. Right. So a book this old, you you kind of look at it and you're like, did it have any influence? And I was I was trying to think through other works that may have adapted stuff from this, not adapted, but um, borrowed from you know homage kind of stuff. We're influenced by sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I, There's what? tons. There's tons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause you've got, you've got like total recall going to Mars, right? With the, with the Martian atmosphere factory. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which I have a hard time believing wasn't somehow influenced by this book. Could have been. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe not. I, I, I have no confirmed source that says it was mm-hmm. influenced by this. Star Wars episode two, Attack of the Clones had the, you know, the dusty Martian arena kind of thing on Geonosis, which knowing what I know about- Fair. About George Lucas and his love of the old serials in theaters, mm-hmm. I have a hard time believing that there wasn't an influence there because th- those kind of things influenced um, him and Spielberg with Indiana Jones. And so, yeah, I, I feel I feel like I that. I think in Star Wars too, like the original trilogy. Yeah, yeah. He was very well. I guess I I, kn- I know that he said in interviews that he's was in, inspired by Flash Gordon. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then I read it. Well, so the reason I read about all this was actually on Wikipedia. Because I went to Wikipedia to verify I was getting the right thing on Amazon. The first mm-hmm. uh-huh. um, and that's when I came across all this other stuff that claims influence from this story. Uh, oh, nice. Things like Robert Heinlein, Arthur C. Clarke, mm-hmm. uh, George Lucas, and Flash Gordon, and prior to that, uh, all this stuff is supposedly influenced just on the various different aspects of this book because it's not only just a science fiction book; it's also like a western book and a right. swords and yeah. fantasy kind of book. So it mm-hmm. spans; it's very horizontal. Yeah, spans a lot of genres. Yeah, and when you think about its publication history in the pulps, you know, a lot of those authors like Robert Heinlein and and other science fiction authors, you know, mm-hmm. they came up through the science fiction pulps, and I'm sure they were influenced to some degree by right. the earlier pulps. And supposedly Carl Sagan was a huge fan of this too. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> All right. With that, I think we start our normal kind of spoilery conversation about A Princess of Mars. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I did forget one other thing. DC Comics has a race of Martians called the Green Martians that uh, were their, their most prominent member of that is Martian Manhunter, John Jones. Not a white Martian or a red Martian? There are white Martians, and they're bad. Uh, yeah, there are red Martians, and they're warful, warlike. In DC Comics? No, in, in this story. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there, there's also, evidently, there's also like yellow Martians and <laughs> and others um, in the rest of the series. So, oh, yes. Nice. So, John Carter gets mystically transported to Mars, even though his body never leaves Earth, which is- right. Kind of funny. Um, well, does he actually die in on Earth? I, I, I was under the impression that he died and his spirit went to a similar body on Mars. Like there's vessels that, for whatever reason, I don't, I don't want to get into that part because I don't know. Right. But I got, I got the impression that he had two vessels, one on Earth and one on Mars, or bodies, if you want to call it that. And his soul traveled between as he died in either right. place. Hmm. He was well, double sleeved like an altered carbon. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Part of the, the thing is though that as an earthling, he's grown up in a higher gravity than the people on Mars. So he's right. stronger, he can jump super fast, jump yeah. super, super high. Yeah, so it's not like Avatar where the right. body that he jumps into is acclimated to Mars, Barsoom. Yeah. Um In fact there's a pretty long description about how he has to learn to walk in the low gravity. He starts off by crawling. Right. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is, like, we know what the level of gravity on Mars is, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, today I would, we do. I wouldn't expect that today you would write this book and have people jumping, you know, 150 right. feet in the air. But uh, still, it's a fun Superman tale. Well, I also wouldn't expect to grow potatoes on Mars either. Without right. poisoning myself. Not without yeah. neutralizing the perchlorates. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But Andy Weir would have figured that one out if if it uh, if we'd known about that when he was writing it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that the, the book really invites <laughs> deep thought into what was happening with the teleportation part of it. Other, other than, I think we're given to believe that his body is essentially in a uh, suspended animation on Earth. But but maybe it's uh, maybe it's one of those things like if you die in the Matrix, you know. Right. Or if you die back on, you know, somebody pulls the plug on you when you're in the Matrix, you die. Well, now that you've mentioned that, if his body is in suspend, uh, suspended animation on Earth, where did the body come from on Mars? If if the body is, you know, already acclimated to Earth's gravity, and therefore he's super strong and can jump right. high on all that on Well, Mars. it literally says that he looked at <laughs> Mars and, and greatly desired to be there, and then he was there. So It's true. Oh, true. Mind over matter. 
Yep. So his mind was used to the gravity on Mars or, or on Earth, not his body. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. Yes. It's yeah. kind of kind of adaptive muscle memory sort of thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So anyhow, he he right, he he arrives on Mars. He uh, finds that he is stronger and uh has a gr- greater leaping ability than anyone else on Mars. And I think doesn't he he immediately meets up with Tars Tarkas and the Green Martians, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. And the he quickly becomes place. a member of one of their their Jedex, right? The Jedex are the leaders. Uh Thark? Thark. Thark's the race. Thark's the race. Yeah. Mm. Jedak is the leaders. Yeah. I can't remember what the... I guess it's a tribe. I don't know. I think it was well, he ends up He ends up killing one of the Green Martians, and then they give him his medal. Right. right. With and that one punch. Him, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's very Klingon, right? They're very warlike. They don't have much in the way of emotion, mm-hmm. the, no. the Green Martians. Uh, they, they find torture hilarious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um... So, yeah. I was thinking so, Sith, but yes. Mm-hmm. And they're described as, you know, having six limbs and having tusks of some kind or fangs. Yep. Yep. So, not not real pretty. Um, but sort of like in Planet of the Apes, the novel, right, he gradually learns the language. Actually, he learns it in like a week, right? Because he's <laughs> right. smart. Because he's John <laughs> Carter. <laughs> right. Yeah, smart. he's not... Uh, oh, I guess we didn't mention that there's a framing narrative here, right? Where... It's Edgar Rice Burroughs reading the memoir of John Carter, who is because his, he's his nephew. uncle. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 And, and John Carter has suddenly died. And so he, the, the estate is settled and it's all left in trust to Mr. Burroughs, who then undertakes to write the tale for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, I haven't read a ton of books from the kind of pulp era. Uh, th- those that I have have been ones that have you know, been turned into well-known science fiction now, but it's a fun adventure. You know, I, I, I really did enjoy reading the book. It, it didn't take me very long, which was nice um, because I'm always reading something else too. <laughs> so, yeah. What else do we want to talk about, about the book? Well, John is kind of perfect. He is a little bit perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he's stronger than everybody. He jumps higher than everybody. He's smarter than everybody. He mm-hmm. learns He's languages. morally superior right. as well. Yeah. He's morally superior. Uh, he befriends all native animals so that they have like fantastic devotion to him. Right. Oh, right. The, the the dog. No, what was his name? Ah, crap, I forgot. I forgot too. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say it was Ula, but that's not right. Uh, Ula. 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 Yeah. Ula. Ula. Right. Yeah. Sounds like you're trying to say hello to someone in, in Fiji. Ula. That's, that's uh, Bula, Bula Vinaka. <laughs> so yeah, Ula is a fantastic character. Um, you know, this yes. is essentially described as a dog, but right. a big amorphous slug-like dog uh, that is inexplicably fast, which I think yes. is amazing. Yeah, I like never... the way they did that in the movie. It was like, like the flash. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah zip, 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 yeah. zip. <laughs> yeah. I like, yeah, like you said, right? He's smarter than everybody. And so eventually he's in the, he gets captured by the Warhoon tribe, which is another tribe of green Martians and right. gets put into the great games, right? Which is the, the big arena scene. And he has to fight Kantos Khan, who, who is a, a, a red Martian who's a good guy, Right. Right. He's been sent to look after the princess. Right. And John Carter has been taking care of the princess, uh, kind of taking ownership of her, pretty literally. <laughs> and so they, they have to fight in the arena. And I, I liked that he showed some cunning in, in going, hey, you know what? The sun's going down. And as the light gets worse, maybe we can pull off a, a trick here. And he makes it look like <laughs> Kantos Khan kills him because he doesn't want to kill the other guy. Right, um, right. And then he can escape. So I thought that was kind of cool. You know, it's not it's not all just about 
jumping high and punching people in the face. Right. Even though that would have solved a lot of his problems to just punch more people in the face. <laughs> well, there's also the discovery of the different rays. Yes, that is fantastic pulp nonsense. <laughs> the seventh ray, the eighth ray, well, and the yeah, ninth there's, ray. There's the eighth ray that powers the flying craft, right? That's it allows right. it allows heavier right. than air flight. Um, and you know, this book was written ten years after Kitty Hawk, and so I guess. Maybe he can Maybe. be excused for having to invent some way for ships to fly. I mean, he does mention that the atmosphere is thier, thinner. so Which would make flight difficult. It would. Um, and then there's yeah. the ninth ray, which interacts with the ether right. <laughs> to produce air. Which is, exactly. I'm just like, turn on the ear, Cohen. No, I, th- I thought it was powering the thing that made the air. Like the ninth ray was just like unlimited power or something like that. That's the ninth correct. ray is the tesseract? Basically, yeah. Yeah, something like that. So it can power the air factory forever. I like the fact that though it interacted with the ether, which yeah. is awesome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the Barsoomians have GPS, which was described as, well, they didn't say GPS. <laughs> he said, there's a clever little device which will remain fixed upon any given point on the surface of Barsoom. Right. So there it is. <laughs> Maybe it was a satellite. The Green Martians' capabilities, you know, they're, they are very warlike, but they're extremely deadly snipers and their bullets don't even drop. Like they, they they can shoot super super long distances and uh, and hit with great accuracy. Yeah, it was quite impressive how effective their 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 guns were. I guess. Yeah, and that was like it. Other than that, mm-hmm. they're like very primitive. <laughs> well, well, the entire kind of main part of the story dealing with the princess of Mars, she only comes to them because uh, the <laughs> because the Green Martians shoot down her ship. Right. Yeah. Right. This is true, and she's the only survivor. Right. Because John Carter saves her. JC. She gets saved by the G- big JC. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> JC saves. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, he goes to the planet, some stuff happens, and then, correct me if I'm wrong, at the end of the book, he is back on Earth and really wants to go back to Mars, but he can't figure out how. And that's right. the end of this adventure, right? In subsequent adventures, he gets back to Mars, but we don't see that in this book. Right. Right. The end of the framing narrative is that he has very specific instructions for how his crypt is supposed to be built. There's right. a great big gold lock on the door that can only be opened from the inside. Inside, right. right. And then uh, right before he leaves Mars, he's going to have a child. And then he gets, hmm. uh, they have to save the air factory. Right. And he passes out and then goes back to Earth. And he spends all the rest of the time trying to get back to Mars, but then he dies. Mm-hmm. Or does he? Dun, dun, dun. Or does he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, uh, yeah. Lo- I guess we'll get there. Never mind. All right. The movie was a little bit more explicit about that, but yes. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, final thoughts on the book. Do we want to, anything else you guys have written down that you want to talk about? No. Okay. I feel like it's a, it's a good read for, like, if you want to read in some history of the science fiction genre, it's definitely pretty light on the science fiction. It's science fiction in the same vein as, like, uh, C.S. Lewis's space trilogy is, where... Mm. It's space. very pulpy. Yeah. Space is yeah. just the backdrop for a Western story in this case. Right. Yeah. Because it's it's cowboys and Indians on Mars. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Dances with wolves on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> Dances with wolves in space. Yeah. But they have the white apes instead of the Tatankas. Oh, right. <laughs> Tatankas yeah. are the buffalo. Yes, I know. <laughs> and they ate the buffalo, but they, they didn't eat the white apes. So it's, it's really not like that at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
fine. Shoot down my illusions. <laughs> well, what was the name of the beasts that they rode on? Oh, this book had had one of those those issues with the uh, similar named things because there was Tars Tarkus and Thark Tharks and right. I feel like the uh, the animals they rode on was some something similar to that. It was a thoat. Thoat, right? Yeah. Yes, I, I have opened the uh, Encyclopedia Barsumia, which is helping me with a lot of these things. Yes, I, I just opened that as well. That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, the Sith. What's that? There, there is a Sith creature in Barsoom. Yes. Really? Is there a Seth creature? <laughs> no. Nice. Well, I'll put that yeah. in the show notes. The uh, Encyclopedia Barsumia. That's fantastic. I will say about the book, the uh, um, was it the illustrations? Yeah, the illustrations were pretty fun. Oh yeah, mine didn't have any. Yeah, and then in in you know, in researching the book further to figure out you know all the different um, books in the series, mm-hmm. I came across quite a few cool looking comics and all that jazz when I was googling it. <laughs> nice for yeah, just for the different ways that uh, the princess was depicted. Deja, Deja, yeah, Deja, Deja Thoris, yeah. yeah. And the green and the green Martians, and of course John Carter. John, like, there's a lot of ones where John Carter basically looks like He Man. <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> that would be perfect. which kind of spoiled me because I found all that stuff, and then you come across the movie, and I'm like, oh, he's not He Man. Oh, <laughs> by the power of Virginia. <laughs> yeah. I think, exactly. I, I think I remember seeing something where Tom Cruise was going to star in a John Carter adaptation. But maybe we should move over to that. Yeah, if I recall correctly, there was there was quite a few times where this was brought up for adaptation, and it never took off for whatever mm-hmm. reason. I don't remember exactly why. Yeah, uh, I just I just pulled up the John Carter uh, entry on Encyclopedia Barsumica, Barsumia. Barsumia. In 1931, Looney Tunes director Bob Clampett approached Edgar Rice Burroughs to adapt *A Princess of Mars* into a feature-length animated film. Yeah. One other thing we should probably mention is that everybody's naked on Mars. <laughs> yeah. So pretty much there were certain aspects of this that were never going to make it to a theatrical adaptation. <laughs> right. Well, they're not uh, completely naked. They had all their, uh, their leathers on, right? The straps and stuff so they could hold their weapons. Mm-hmm. In the late 1950s, Ray Harryhausen expressed interest in filming the novels. Mm-hmm. They wanted to make a successor to the star Wars and the set to star Wars and Conan the barbarian in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Check it out. Uh, they bought the rights Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio were hired to write, while John McTiernan and Tom Cruise were approached to direct and star. This was in the 80s. Yep. Ooh, and th- John McTiernan. Uh, yeah, so they realized <laughs> they, they didn't have enough special effects to do this, and this mm-hmm. was a key thing, because uh, the, the 2009 movie suffered very badly from bad special effects, although that may have been more of a budgeting concern than a technological one. Mm. Oh, the, the Asylum one? Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely budget. They crank them out. They don't. They don't care about that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um. Well, Colin, since you took one for the team and and watched that movie, did you and Kathy both watch it? She did. <laughs> <laughs> there were a couple of times when she asked me when it was going to be done. Yeah. Uh, nice. <laughs> it, it, it modernizes the movie a little bit. So he's actually sent to John Carter sent to Mars as part of an experiment uh, because he's been badly wounded by someone. Oh. Okay. Uh, oh, and it turns okay. out that someone was actually sent before him. So oh. there's there's two Earthlings on Mars. That so end it's up timeline out. Yeah, it's literally the plot of timeline. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only instead of going back in time, it's going to Barsoom. Terrific. Yep. Hmm. But it has an air factory, which I think was a pretty strong point. I disagree. 
but uh, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I thought if I would say anything negative about the book, it's kind of the lack of a, of a, a real ending to it bothered me. And that could be because I had seen the movie previously. So I was looking for more of uh, a, a, you know, closing out of the story, not just, and, you know, dot, 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 credits roll. Yeah, but it leaves it open for the rest of the series, though. It does, and it's it's a consequence of the serialization of it, right? Right. I thought it was a consequence of the fact that he was dead. He was dead? Who was yeah. dead? John, John- Ed- Edgar Rice Burroughs is reading this because John Carter is dead. Well, he thinks he's dead. He's definitely not dead, though. Right. In the book? Yeah. Yeah. If you only read one book, Oh, no, dead. no, no. No Right, way. right, right, right. I totally did you- not think he was dead when I got to the end of the book. I didn't either. Oh, I did. I-, oh. I thought it was very tragic. Not at all. Oh, it just said he collapsed, right? Didn't didn't actually yeah. say he died. He just found no, himself no, no. back on Earth. No, no. In the beginning of the story, John Carter oh. is dead, so they call Edgar Rice Burroughs in to be the executor of. His I'll, I'll give you that. I thought he was dead in the beginning, but by the time we get to the end, though, I think it's pretty apparent he's not dead. Mm-hmm. I think he's. I I was in the impression he got transferred back to Mars in a similar fashion when he died in the cave in Arizona. Hmm. Yeah. That was my assumption. And I haven't gotten any further in the series, so I... Well, but. the next the next book, The Gods of Mars, it says, the story begins with Gon- John Carter's return to Mars. Yeah. So, Spoilers. obviously, we know better now, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. See, my guess is that he wrote this one story, and he never thought there would be a sequel. And it, Probably. it went and it yeah. got published, and he was like, oh, I could totally do this if I just bring him back alive somehow. And he right. realizes the plotting was bad enough he could he could slide it in because there's time between when he comes back and when he dies dies. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's sort of like Jurassic Park and then The Lost World, right? Where <laughs> Ian Malcolm definitely <laughs> dies in that book. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. All right. So anyhow, 2009 movie, not fantastic special effects. Uh, the, the not great acting. Great. I mean, Tracy Lords definitely kind of has you know resting princess face. Right. <laughs> she, she just looks angry through the entire movie. She must have had like exhausted cheekbones and brows when she was done. See, when I saw that she was in it, I thought, okay, so they made, they made like the version where everybody's naked all the time. Oh no, everybody's clothed. Yeah. It was, it was above board. Okay. I mean, and I, I will say that I think at the very beginning of, I watched the very beginning of it with the sound off and I felt like that was the right choice to make. <laughs> um, and I saw that it's Antonio Sobato Jr. who, who plays John Carter. And I think yeah. he arrives naked, though, right? But he quickly he wraps does. something around his waist. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, yeah. In fact, he, that's how he finds the eggs. Is he takes a, a piece of cloth from the canvas that, that surrounds the egg was, creche. Was it like Terminator? Where they arrive naked? No. Like, don't, don't, don't. Yes. <laughs> your clothes. Give them to me now. <laughs> <laughs> that's how he met Tars Tarkas. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Sock. 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 Greg right. <laughs> Neck. Oh, see, there's what another you, thing. What right? are you going to use that sock for while you're naked? <laughs> you're gonna need like three or four socks weave them together to cover everything. no just one to to cover the most noticeable bits <laughs> anywho so it did get okay. adapted eventually through many travails yes there was a lot of marketing a lot of sort of strange marketing because they ended up deciding to just call the movie john carter which is strange when it's it was in the lead up to it i saw yeah. that there was a movie coming called john carter of mars I remember seeing that in like Ain't It Cool News and other sites back then and thought, oh, okay, interesting. Um, that should be fun. And then there were a lot of trailers that kind of showed that there were some adventures in the desert and that was about it. Mm. And the movie didn't do real well when it came out in theaters. 
Um, kind of reminds he, me of uh, the oh, was it Death Kill Repeat? Whatever, Live Die Repeat. Yeah, that one. Yeah, totally. Murder Death Kill. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Murder Death Kill Repeat. Yes, yeah. Where the marketing wasn't <laughs> yeah, fantastic. That Although was weird, that was just weird how they did the marketing for that. I wasn't aware about the marketing for John Carter, but I loved that first trailer, and that was all I needed to to be like, yes, I'm seeing that movie. So I don't. Yeah, know. Don't be wrong. It was a cool movie. Just that that. The way they did no, the title changing and all that. Was yeah, just, not a very evocative yeah. title. Um, here, though, it, you know, some of the development hell that it went through ended up with a budget north of three million, three hundred million dollars, mm-hmm. which yeah. is incredible. Um, and Damn. so, like, if they had spent a reasonable amount on this movie, like a hundred million dollars, then it made back much more than its budget. It would not have been considered a flop at all. But right. because you know it needed to make six hundred million dollars, and it made like four hundred. So, or maybe, maybe it was north of 300. I can't remember. But this one is directed by Andrew Stanton, who did Wally. Yep. And, you know, so he's, he's big is. on visual effects. And I will say, so I watched this movie. I saw this movie in the theater with my son when he was, I don't know, 11. Wow. And <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. I loved it. I, th- I thought it was a throwback adventure movie, like in the style of old Steve Reeves' Hercules movies. And, and that kind of stuff. Um, or Jason and the Argonauts. You know, it was that <laughs> style of movie. And in that sense, I thought it was fantastic. Um, it has a huge budget. A lot of that is the visual effects. And I felt like the visual effects are pretty good. Um, and even well, watching it beautiful. on Disney+, Plus, I thought, thought it looked pretty good. Um, and watching it this time, I'm like, I really like this movie. So <laughs> that's where I stand. It's pretty, but I think it relies too heavily on the CGI to carry a lot of the story. It's like... Sure. You could have put more of the original story in it and taken out a bunch of the CGI, and you mm-hmm. might have ended up with a better product. Maybe. Which which parts of the story would you have added? Oh, I, I think the Air Factory totally has to be in there. Wow. Totally disagree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought the Air Factory was, was dumb. I, 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 didn't, I didn't care for that part at all. I, I feel like the pieces were there. Um, but it was a little bit of a mess, but I still really, really enjoyed it. Um, I think focusing, this is post Lord of the Rings fantasy, right? You have to have a big climactic battle at the end. And so they were going to do that. And mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, ultimately it, it, it worked out. Okay. Right. With him rallying the, uh, green Martians to his cause. The Tharks. Sure. The, in terms yeah. of the stuff that doesn't work for me is I don't like the way it starts. I don't like the fact that it starts on Mars with voiceover telling us stuff that we probably could have learned subsequently right. in the movie. Um, I, I had remembered that it started the same way the book does, right? Because I'm pretty sure Colin typed that in the chat somewhere. Uh, Seth loves voiceovers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but like um, the, uh, the framing narrative is there. And it's essentially the same thing, right? Where it's Edgar Rice Burroughs showing up and finding out that his uncles died mm-hmm. and, and that he has given very in, uh, specific instructions about his grave. And, but on the Mars subplot, right? It introduces these other characters, the Mark Strong, um, what was his name? Matai Shang, who I get the impression that he's a Thern, or at least they actually ask him if he's a Thern at some point, And he says, no, not really. Um, <laughs> but uh, there was there was at least a germ of that in the book where they're like, they see something in a cave that talks about like the white Martians who are a progenitor race. Right. So I didn't mind that inclusion or the idea that, that if you're going to make a series of films, you might want to pull in some of that larger mythology into the first film. So I didn't have any problem with them actually having those characters in there, but I didn't love the execution of it. So 
Right. Uh, we should mention the movie uh, starring Taylor Kitsch, who has never really been a headliner for movies that did well. Um, he was also the star of Battleship, which I thought was great fun, actually. <laughs> Not a good movie, but a lot of fun. Um, it has Brian Cranston in it very briefly. And Lynn Collins, right. who was in uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine with Taylor Kitsch. Kieran Hines, um, who I felt like was a little too dignified to be in this movie, but whatever. <laughs> and Willem Dafoe as Tars Willem Tarkas. Willem Dafoe, right. Yeah. Who gives a good voice performance. Virginia! (laughs) (laughs) We should say that the green Martians are really green, and they have six six limbs and tusks. Yes. Um, And and we even get a nice demonstration for why they have tusks. It's it's part of their social domination ritual with other males. Part of the rutting, right? Right, yes. Uh, Although, yeah, like standard, standard reasons to have tusks and mating rituals don't seem to apply to the green Martians because they don't have <laughs> family bonds really. Right. They kind of have a kid lottery, right? Very, Where they, the kids come communal. back and you, you just try and steal one. Yes. Yeah. I thought it was pretty interesting how they adapted that part in the movie. Yeah. That, was, that was pretty fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I like, and a lot of the movie yeah. holds true. You know, John Carter goes, he learns how to speak Martian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there's in, in broad strokes, the story is there minus, a few things. There's some consolidation of, of some of the Green Martians. Um, yep. I was surprised when we actually met the, uh, you know, whatever that other group of Green Martians was. Warhoon? Warhoon? Yeah. Warhoon, yeah. Warhoon. Yeah, I was surprised when we met them. You know, we got a, a white ape that didn't really look like an ape at all. Um, it looked like a bear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking more a gorilla. They did like a bear. Yeah. <laughs> right. I like the fact that the, the ninth ray was mentioned. As essentially yes. the the MacGuffin of the movie, the unobtainium of the movie. Um, where <laughs> well, that was the reason for the Martian gods being there, right? They're supposed to stop the Martians, the Red Martians, from having that technology. Right. Or at least make sure that not all of them have it. The, only the ones that they have under their control. Because right. because they give it to uh, Sab Thon, right? right? Uh, I really enjoyed the uh, score by Michael Giacchino. Colin objects to him because he scored one of the movies that shall not be named. <laughs> it doesn't exist, so you don't need to name it. Well, it doesn't exist, but it has fantastic music. So um, there's one thing I really, I, I liked the beginning portion of the movie, other than the Mars part, you know, introducing the framing narrative where it has John Carter as being this very stubborn person who's oh, not yeah. willing to sit down for anybody. <laughs> and there are a lot of quick cuts um, of, of him getting, you know, trying to escape and getting beat down. Right. Getting thrown around. That was yeah. that was pretty funny, actually. <laughs> yeah. I do feel like even though the great arena scene that, that does happen, it's different than in the book, right? Because he's not fighting mm-hmm. uh, Kantos Khan. He's fighting with Tars Tarkas against, you know, the big ape thing. And I think right. Sola's yeah. in there as well. Yep. Yeah. Or no, I guess she's in attendance and she ends up pulling uh, Sarkoja down with her. And then she gets torn apart by the thing, which was a good end for her. Oh, yeah. Uh, that character, so- Sola, in the movie was voiced by Samantha Morton, who was oh. in uh, Minority Report. Oh, nice. And The Walking Dead. That's right. Yeah, oh. The Walking Dead. Yeah, forgot about that. Let's talk about why the Air Factory has to be in there. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. I, I guess, you know, I started off with, like, my overall thoughts that I love the movie. You guys didn't ever actually say. Well, I no, thought they tried the to put too much in the movie. <laughs> yes. Okay. And, and too much of the wrong stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Not all change is good, right? Right. Like, I don't care about the love triangle. You know, like, Sabthong. Sabthong. <laughs> Sabthong. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so, totally but, out of the book. Uh, that is totally out of the book. But yeah. he doesn't need, like, the, the super gauntlet of, of Ray Doom I, and all that other jazz. I completely agree with you about that. Right. 
He can still so, be uh, a threat without that. He can still be a threat without mm-hmm. that. But yeah. John Carter goes to Mars. He's stronger than everybody. He's jumps higher than everybody. He's mm-hmm. smarter. He's more moral. He gets the princess. And in the end of the day, he learns telepathy and he saves the entire world. Right. I forgot about the telepathy part. Yeah. Yeah. That's how he unlocks yeah. the air factory. Air factory. Mm. Right. Because he had to memorize the five See, words. I think that would have been cool. I think they could they totally could have rolled this into like an entire trilogy on the level See, of like Star Wars. So, I, well, so I think they wanted to do that. They did. Yeah. Then they shouldn't have made such a crappy first movie. It, well, it wasn't <laughs> crappy. It just wasn't great. No, it wasn't. Yeah. Right. They, yeah. They, I, know, I guess you already agreed with me on this one, Colin. So, yeah. As usual, we're teaming up and stuff. Yes. <laughs> you guys are wrong. It's a good movie. They put way now, too much in the one film. I think they could have extended a little bit more on Earth with John Carter and build him up a bit like they did in the book mm-hmm. and have him actually disappear like in the book and then go to Mars and follow that. And yeah, they did do that though. They, they didn't did. have as yeah. much, had much there, but I feel like ju- but they could have well, done a little bit more development there and mm-hmm. made and not try and cram so much in the one movie. Right. And leave, and leave more for a second or third movie. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm not trying to say, I don't believe there's enough content in the first book to make three movies or no, no, no. I think there's enough for at least one and a half movies and they could oh, have brought in more content from successive books. Where would you have ended it in the book if you were adapting it to one movie and with him I, getting the girl, then you're cutting out the, the air factory. That's right. Yeah. I don't know exactly, but yeah. So I'm I, thinking, I'm thinking somewhere around the, like the arena and stuff like that. Hmm. I don't know. I, Le- I, I'm not sure about that. Leave the air factory for the second movie or something. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel like the movie is overstuffed with ideas. It, it's, it's oh. pretty basic. The, I don't love the, the Mark. I'm Strong not saying stuff. it's over stuff with ideas. There's nothing right. mental, mentally challenging about it. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's quite simple. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I felt like it was an appropriate running time and, and that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, I found it super entertaining and a lot of fun. I don't love the stuff with the alien overlord guys and the mm-hmm. and the the Blu-ray and all that kind of stuff. But I, I think I understand that that was part of trying to set up a larger story because mm-hmm. they were going to be a primary antagonist throughout the, the series. Though mm-hmm. the way it handles them in this movie is, you know, they do the Mark Strong one gets killed. Another one gets killed back on Earth. So, right. yeah, I'm not totally sure that, that that works. I will say I much prefer the ending of the movie. Where, where it shows his, his kind of plan to get back to Mars. He knows he can't right. go back to Mars until, he, in, until it's safe for him to do so, and that means that the Thurns or whoever they are are not watching him anymore. And so he lures... Uh, Nephew Ed. Yeah. What, right. what, what did he call him? Edgar? No, it was something else. Ned. Ned, yeah. Ned, yeah. Yeah, he lured him there as bait and then uh, you know, shot the Thurn guy in the back with what I guess must have been a hollow point or something so they didn't go through and kill his nephew. <laughs> um, and also yeah. very fortunate that he shot the guy and didn't damage the amulet thingy. Yes. <laughs> totally hollow yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. So and actually, I, I, yeah. I agree with you there. I, I did like that. That ending I thought was pretty slick. Um, okay. And it got him back to it. It was a, it was a more uh, uh, like obvious way to yeah. explain what basically happened in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was kind of expecting that in the book, which is why I was yeah. a little let down by the, the air factory part. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of goes back to, we've talked about this a thousand times, right? That, or nearly a hundred times, um, <laughs> maybe 91, <laughs> that the true story is the way you first encounter it, right? And, and so for me, the, the movie is more of a complete story with bookends to it 
even though not all the stuff mm. in the middle to really works. Well, if you don't want to make so. it a tragedy, the movie does a great job because you're left yeah. with this hope that he'll be back on Mars with Deja. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but the book has right. this incredible sense of tragedy. It's like, well, I've lost my family, my wife, my love mm-hmm. again. Cause it yeah. wasn't his first family that he lost. Right. And they bring in some of that into the movie in sort of flashbacks. See, it's but, a little but I weird. think you need that for, if you're going to set up a trilogy, you can't just end it completely in the first movie. Well, but you didn't end it completely in the movie. You got him back to Mars. Yeah. And so then there can be further adventures, you know, on different stories. Just yeah, but again, the they books. tried to do too much in the movie and it flopped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. M- what uh, most of the reviewers said was that it was a beautifully made movie, mm-hmm. but that everything it did had been made by other movies and every other movie had done it better. Right. And th- and that's kind of, I, I feel like by nature of it adapting something so classic as this that has had so many influences, oh, adapting right. it, you're going to end up with yeah. it feeling derivative of everything else. So like yeah. the, you know, the arena scene feels like it's ripped straight out of Attack of the Clones, which may have been influenced by the original book. So Or Gladiator. Or Gladiator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jinx. <laughs> that was surprisingly simultaneous. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. I can't even get it. That, that's what she said on that? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Falling down on the job here, James. You can edit it in. <laughs> that's what she said there, I can't, that I've, in there. well I've definitely never edited any that's what she said into any previous episodes <laughs> still no, nobody has told us why the April Fool's Day episode was an April Fool's Day episode that's really? True. Yep. <laughs> that's just we're too slick ah, nobody's figured it out it's too I good know. It's too good. You know, I listened to it the other day and I felt like yeah, it came out pretty good nice so you're, you're just a record editing genius I do feel like if there's any character that really gets short shrift in the movie, it's Kantos Can. Now, he's a good guy um, and portrayed as a good guy, but the movie tries to make the Green Martians not quite as horrifying and makes Tars Tarkas absolutely a hero through most of the movie. Yeah. I think that was because Willem Dafoe. Probably. <laughs> I liked the design of the, the aliens. I liked that they were that much taller. You know, I, I thought oh, yeah. the, the yeah, tusks were cool. cool. Um, yep. And, you know, they, they had the canonically appropriate number of limbs. Mm-hmm. They even mm-hmm. had the little baby factories and that kind of stuff. Well, their, their big size makes that single punch knockout all the more impressive. It does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Punching above his weight, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, yeah. that was what, what, that's what I thought was cool about that dynamic between the Martians and John Carter is that he's, he's so much smaller than they are, but mm-hmm. not. <laughs> yeah. And so they, you know, they, under, they underestimate him. And who doesn't love an underdog? So Right. Well, that's, that's, that's why they couldn't have everybody naked. Cause then it would have been obvious that he wasn't smaller than the Martians. <laughs> 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 well, since we couldn't do a Netflix party, we all watched it and pulled up. Did we use Skype for chat? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. so this is funny. This will tell you something about Colin's personality and mine. Um, you know, Colin is the one who's going to hold a movie up next to the book and mark off demerits for everything. So the movie starts at a hundred percent and it gets, you know, decreased five, <laughs> ten, five, you know, four percent, depending on what goes on. Whereas I was like, oh, I thought you would build it up, you know, from zero to something else. But that that's the right. <laughs> that's our. Did we ever determine if you could actually <laughs> add percentage points to it? Nope. There, nope. there is, there is only. There's, uh, there's no plus, only minus. Only minus. <laughs> yes. yeah. So, and the movie has some minus in it. I'm not going to lie, but it, to me, it had a lot of right. plus in it too. So. But that's just, I may be slightly more optimistic than Colin. 
<laughs> just maybe possibly yeah. that's Probably why we get not, along so well but maybe uh did you watch the john carter movie with your family i think i did okay i, I was it would be unfair to inflict princess of mars on them and then not <laughs> at least have the palate cleanser of a, of a slightly better movie or at least yeah. a more enjoyable movie because that's the difference right there's there's plenty of movies that we've done where i'm like that's not very good but it's enjoyable and there's other ones right. where i'm like that's really really good but not so enjoyable so right yeah like schindler's list great movie not very enjoyable mm. right or yeah. even something like uh, never let me go right right or children of men those i feel like are really good movies but not necessarily you know super super entertaining not something you watch my lips curling on on uh, on audio but it's there <laughs> <laughs> yeah anywho anything else to talk about no 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 okay uh, how about we rank them? Hey, good idea. I feel like I can predict what you guys are going to do because I've learned telepathy. <laughs> it's the intersection of the ninth ray with your human brain. Yes. So I'm going to I'm going to guess that you guys are both going to go book movie. It's a good guess. Highly educated. Almost. <laughs> book movie movie. Book movie movie. <laughs> Although I did like 2012 better than 2009. Yes. Uh, 2009 oh, is way more canonical mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, but it's just. Not a quality movie (laughs) every other way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's one of those cases where, yeah, it's really canonical, but it's not a good movie. Yeah. That is not enough to make it a good movie. Right. No, it's not even, yeah, just the beginning. No. So I'm broadcasting my selection to you guys. Can you read my mind? Oh. Movie book. Yes. (laughs) Movie book. That is correct. Right. So we're a house. We're in a rut. Yeah. We're a house divided. (laughs) You know, we had talked about doing the, an episode where we talk about adaptation means change and, and those kind of things. And, you know, what, what we've learned over 90 plus episodes um, mm-hmm. and, and some of that. And we were going to talk about who is most likely to prefer the movie to the book. That would be you. I think so. It could be, it could be, yeah. but you might be surprised. Mm. It could be you. It could be James. It's not me. All right. I'll tell you, I should just tell you. <laughs> no, you should save it for that ep- extra episode. We should schedule it out. Okay. All right. Yeah, we can do that. Sure, well, I mean, sure. we're fast closing closing in on a hundred episodes, so we'll have to decide what to do for a hundredth episode. Mm. Well, a lot of our life is being dictated to us right now. That is true, on account of the library not being open. That's yes. really the that's really the main thing. It, yeah, the library, each other's houses, all mm-hmm. kinds of things. Yes, it is nice to do actual co watches, not virtual co watches. Yeah. Agreed. Or as we call them, cowatches. 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 <laughs> Two out of three pavement pounders preferred the book, but the one that matters prefers the movie. <laughs> the editor. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, You've I'm got gonna, the power. I do have the power. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of the power, if you would like to support this podcast and you know help us buy new equipment occasionally and that kind of stuff, or just rent a movie, that kind of thing, you can go to patreon.com slash Hugo's podcast, which is my Kind of, I named it after my more recent podcast, but uh, you can support us there if you would like. I'm getting to the point where I'm going to have to start doing patron exclusive content really close. <laughs> oh, really? Is, there, <laughs> yeah, is like, there a threshold for that? There is a threshold. You can set goals, and I set a, I set a goal, uh, and we're almost there. And okay. um, so we might have uh, patrons telling us what to do, which Ooh, would be cool. So I'm okay with that. I I told Michael uh, Michael Simshauser, who's our earliest supporter um, in yeah, many yeah. ways, including Patreon, that he has not used his privileges yet because he is in the nerd overlord uh, oh, levels. Nice. And so That'd he can, be fun. yeah, he can tell us to do a specific topic, but he hasn't done it yet. Although he did mention, and he was going to send Colin a link to this, that there was 
like a Facebook group that was adapting, that was filming Fahrenheit 451 one minute at a time, like doing one minute videos. What? <laughs> yeah, he told me that. We were chatting on Twitter the oh, other that's day. that's cool. And uh, so that would, that would kind of be a cool thing to, to check out. Maybe yeah. we could get Phil, pull Phil back in. That'd be I'm, neat. I'm not sure at what state it is. Michael is going to do more research on that and get back to me. Right. So Okay. Well, that's cool. All right. So I think it's time to sign off. Uh, so until next time, thank you for listening. And you can always tweet at us at Pavement Podcast if you'd like. And until next time, we'll leave you with the standard Pavement Pounders blessing. May the road rise up to meet you. And may the book always fall open to where you left off. Bye. Bye.